The numbers say the Falcons will be more methodical rather than explosive on offense under Desmond Ritter. And if so, we're breaking down if they have what it takes to be super efficient in the red zone like they need to be in order to succeed with that style on today's Locked on Falcons. You are Locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black, and, of course, the very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started and we thank everyone that makes this illustrious podcast their first listen each and every day shout out to the everydayers follow in their footsteps by subscribing or following for free on youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts so today's episode we will be talking all about the falcons red zone offense we kind of talked a little bit about you know whether or not Last week, I, I teased, you know, in the next episode, we'll talk about the team being explosive. Well, we'll focus on the lack of explosiveness and therefore the need for them to be very efficient in the red zone today. Probably later in the week, we'll talk about the explosiveness. But this stems from a uh, tweet that I saw from a former Lockdown Falcons guest from Derek Klassen from last week. And I'll throw it up there on the screen for you guys that are watching the video version of the podcast that drops on YouTube the night before the audio drops. Another reason to go ahead and give us that like on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe all that more. But the tweet says uh, from Derek class and at QB class on Twitter, he has had the thought that the way Dak Prescott commands both the run in the past game, as well as Dallas's overall structure probably led to a lot of long touchdown drives, methodical, efficient player. Dallas finished with 22 10 plus played touchdown drives last year. Only the Eagles with 23 had more. And the reason why this tweet is notable to me, because it made me think of Desmond Ritter for two reasons, right? The first being the Dak Prescott comparison, right? To where people that tend to like Desmond Ritter and his potential in the NFL tend to compare him favorably to Dak Prescott as a quarterback, as Derek mentioned, that is very, you know, process driven, very high level processor. And if you listen to this podcast last year, when we drafted Desmond Ritter, I did my detailed scouting report of him. Dak Prescott was my ceiling comp for Desmond Ritter in terms of the best version of the player that I think Desmond Ritter has the potential to be. And, And maybe later this summer, we will explore the various reasons and aspects and compare and contrast Desmond Ritter to Dak Prescott. But the second reason why this tweet stood out to me, because it made me think, you know, how did the Falcons fare uh, in this metric, this 10 plus play uh, scoring drive as well as 10 plus play any drives? Uh, But it gets to the root of uh, the explosive versus non-explosive offense that, you know, you everydayers that listen to this podcast know is is a big talking point 
on this podcast and, and from my perspective on football, the, the need to be explosive. We heard Desmond Ritter earlier this summer on Good Morning Football talk about the Falcons' goal of being more explosive. And the reason for that, if you're not quite an everydayer, right, and you don't know quite my view on explosiveness, you know, it, Tim's, it stems from, you know, needing to flip the field position and get those chunk yards off of explosive plays. And to me, the research I've done over the last decade plus there is a high correlation between the best offenses in the NFL as well as those that are the most explosive that basically it comes from the methodical long drive, excuse me, are hard to pull off in the NFL consistently at a high level because of essentially third downs. Third downs are hard to convert, right? Rarely in the NFL do does a offense convert more than half of their third downs, right? It's usually like 45% makes you an elite third down offense in the NFL. And basically what that means is basically if you get to the second, third down on a, on a single drive, the odds turn against the offense. And this is why, guys, people like Dean Pease, the Falcons' former defensive coordinator, and so many other defensive-minded head coaches and uh, coordinators play that bend but don't break style. It, you know, it's not most aesthetically pleasing type of defense, I know, for a lot of fans out there and observers, but it is effective due to the fact that it is hard to string together successful plays you know, time and time again uh, over the course of a game, not only on one drive, but multiple drives that you will need in order to win football games. And so I did the research and looked up how many of these 10 plus play drives the Falcons went on under Desmond Ritter in his final four starts. And the answer was 10 over those final four games, which uh, during that span of four games would have ranked second in the NFL behind the Kenny Pickett led Pittsburgh Steelers during that span. And if you extrapolate that four-game sample to a full 17-game season, that would be over 42 of those 10-play drives, which would, again, be second behind the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then I was continuing to do a deep dive into this area. And, you know, I also learned that eight of those 10-plus play drives that the Falcons had under Desmond Ritter did wind up getting reaching the red zone uh, during that four-game sample. And, again, you extrapolate that over 17 games, that would equal about 34 10 plus play drives that reached the red zone. And that would have been over the course of an entire season would have been the most in the NFL. The chargers actually led the league with 31 of those 10 plus play red zone drives last season. But the thing that stood out when you look up those numbers is the Falcons only scored touchdowns on 25% of those red zone drives, right? Which would have been the lowest mark in the league over the course of a full season. The two teams that finished at the bottom of the league in terms of 10 plus play red zone conversion rate was the New York Jets and the New England Patriots with 33%. And then you compare the Falcons 25% to that, as well as the league average, which was 53%. And you see that the Falcons uh, struggled in that arena relative uh, under Desmond Ritter relative to the rest of the league. And that brings us to the point of, you know, is that something that Desmond Ritter can improve upon in 2023? And I went back and watched the film from 2022 and you'll get my thoughts on what I saw from the film. There's ups and downs from Desmond Ritter when it came to red zone execution. And we'll break that down as we continue today's locked on Falcons. Before we get there, guys, I want to tell you to make a fast break to FanDuel for the NBA playoffs because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's right, $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet 
doesn't win. And whether you want to bet on the NBA finals, you want to bet on the upcoming NBA draft, you want to bet on the upcoming NFL season, whether you want to bet on the Falcons Super Bowl odds, the Falcons NFC South winning odds, or, you know, B. John Robinson winning offensive rookie of the year. Or you can bet, of course, on Major League Baseball and a variety of sports over at FanDuel because there's no better place than America's number one sports book. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and you'll get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So let's talk a little bit more about the Falcons red zone efficiency. And there is a little bit of context that we need for looking at these numbers with Desmond Ritter and the Falcons in those final four games that you can easily argue that the 25% touchdown conversion rate in the red zone on those longer drives is not necessarily reflective of the reality, right? That one of those 10 plus play drives came at the end of the Cardinals game where the Falcons were essentially running out the clock. And probably if they wanted to score, maybe could have scored. Another one came in that same game where the Falcons had a long drive they had to settle for a field goal. Why? Because Desmond Ritter hit Cordero Patterson in the end zone on a back shoulder fade, and which should have been a touchdown, but Patterson dropped that football. And then another came the week before against the Baltimore Ravens where we saw Cordero Patterson run for a touchdown, and it got called back by a very dubious holding call against Alameda Zacchaeus. So I know you can play the coulda, woulda, shoulda, but I think if you were to look at those three long drives and just change the outcome of two of those, you would get to that 50% touchdown efficiency. That would be league average. Uh, so I think when we look at this Falcons team and their red zone efficiency under Desmond Ritter on these long drives is not necessarily looking from them going from worst to first or something like that. It's more like they're already probably average and it's about trying to get better than average in that regard. So that I think context is necessary in this conversation, but we recently spent a week on this Lockdown Falcons podcast, this illustrious show uh, that you're now tuned into, uh, talking all about Desmond Ritter and, and why he needs to get better against man coverage, as that may be a major weakness. We also could probably spend a lot of time talking about Desmond Ritter improving in the red zone as a way for him to take that next step as a passer, although we probably don't need to spend a whole week on it because I think it's pretty self-evident. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily think I have to explain to many of you how important it is to score in the red zone. Um, but I would say at first glance, you know, Desmond Ritter was fine in the red zone. He had a passer rating of 93, uh, which is right there with the NFL average last year of 94 when it came to red zone efficiency. Um, but I, again, I don't think the first glance at those numbers truly tell the whole story. And so I, I went back and watched every red zone throw that Desmond Ritter made in those final four games. And as you guys well know, uh, while I generally thought of Re Desmond Ritter's four-game performance, I thought reasonably highly of it and what he put on out there on, Farrell that, on film that made me feel like, you know, this guy can be an effective to good starter in the NFL. Some of the negatives, if, if I was going to be more nitpicky about that, I would probably say a good percentage of the issues I had with Desmond Ritter's film in those four starts would have come based off of red zone plays. And, you know, I think the offense is going to be overall fine when it comes to the Falcons in the red zone, just because of how effective this team is running the football. We saw that uh, under Desmond Ritter, as well as Marcus Mariota, it didn't really change from the change of quarterback. The Falcons still ran the ball roughly about 65% of the time on their red zone plays. I think it was exactly 66% of the time under Desmond Ritter. And you compare that to the rest of the league, 
you know, they have a run pass split in the red zone of 49 51. So the Falcons are running the ball far more than the 49%, roughly 50 50 uh, split that the rest of the league is doing in the red zone. And, you know, I thought Red- Ritter's performance in the red zone was mostly fine especially when he didn't have to throw the ball in the in the end zone, right? If he could throw the ball, you know, at the 10 or the five yard line and hopefully his receiver could make a move and, you know, do their thing. He was fine and efficient. Uh, but when he had to throw the ball on target in the end zone, you know, that's where I think things tended to break down a little bit. And we also know, again, one of the reasons why red zone efficiency is so self-evident, as I pointed out earlier, is because we know your ability to hit those throws in the red zone can kind of make or break your ability to win football games. You go back to this podcast in September when I was being critical of Marcus Mariota and his performance, most of that criticism, you know, centered on his red zone performances, right? Because the difference between, you know, if you take, if you get into the red zone four times and the difference between converting two of those into touchdowns versus three of those into touchdowns can cost you a game that can determine the outcome of whether or not you win or lose a game. Because we know that 25% of NFL games over the last couple of years uh, have been decided by four points or less. Right. And that's basically the difference between you scoring three points on one red zone trip versus scoring seven points on that same red zone trip. And that can be the difference between going seven and 10 and 11 and six over the course of a season. If you're not able to consistently convert in the red zone. So I could certainly point out other issues that Ritter showed on film in the red zone. We saw that near pick six he had in his first game against the new Orleans saints, where he kind of just forced the ball. And, you know, fortunately the defensive back didn't catch it because he, would have went to the house. You had the intentional grounding against Baltimore the following week where that was a questionable decision from Desmond Ritter. And then you had a, a missed throw uh, on a wide open pass two weeks later to Tampa Bay uh, to Alameda Zacchaeus against Tampa Bay. Uh, fortunately, Ritter did hit Zacchaeus later in the game on a wide open pass. But those are the types of plays that you need to see your quarterback make, or at least those are the types of plays in the in, in the case of the pick six and the uh, intentional ground, you need to see your quarterback avoid in the red zone because those can be backbreakers. And so it's understandable why quarterbacks of all experience, whether they're young quarterbacks like Desmond Ritter or veteran quarterbacks like a Matt Ryan, who was, you know, historically average when it came uh, to the red zone, uh, why they struggle in the red zone because everything gets cluttered. And, you know, that's really where the speed of the game and especially for young quarterbacks, you expect those guys to struggle a little bit more than the veterans. Um, but, you know, for that reason, we will cut Ritter some slack when it comes to the red zone struggles uh, from last year and, and potentially this year. But as it was the case with Mariota, I do think it is, he does deserve to be scrutinized when it comes to the red zone because it will potentially, you know, determine the outcomes of games. So if he's not getting the job done in the red zone, that's going to be a problem for this football team this upcoming season. So now we turn our attention to whether or not the Falcons have really set up Ritter for success in the red zone, particularly by looking at the weapons that the Falcons have surrounded him with that will allow him to be more efficient and effective in the red zone. Because we know that over those final four games, he wasn't necessarily, you know, playing with a, a stacked deck, so to speak. So we'll break that down as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. But again, I want to give a shout out to all my everydayers out there that check out this show each and every day as their first listen. And for those of you that will be tuning in tomorrow uh, for your first listen, we will probably get deeper into the whole explosiveness and talk about whether or not the Falcons, 
you know, have the pieces around Desmond Ritter to be an explosive offense in addition to some of the things that we need to see from Desmond Ritter in that area as well. But that's in store for you. So continue to make Lockdown Falcons your first listen by following on YouTube, subscribing on YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. So the question is, did the Falcons do enough this offseason to surround Ritter with a good supporting cast to help him in the red zone? And obviously the big addition that the Falcons made this offseason was, of course, B. John Robinson. And, you know, we're not going to be spending too much time on today's episode focusing on the Falcons ground game and how Bijan is going to help that. We spent so much time over the last month or so talking about that because that doesn't necessarily really apply to what we're talking about today, which is Ritter's passing efficiency in the red zone. So I do think adding Bijan will be good for the team. And to be clear, despite expressing some concerns about Ritter in the red zone, Overall, I do not. I'm not too worried about the Falcons' ability to convert in the red zone because of how much they rely on the running game and how effective I expect the running game to be. So I'm not really panicked about the overall efficiency of the red red zone offense uh, when it comes to the Falcons putting points on the board. Uh, I'm very optimistic that you know their red zone offense will be more than fine this upcoming season because of their ability to, to run the football when it comes to that and we may discover that the red zone offense at least from a passing standpoint mostly centers on you know checking the ball down to Bijan robinson and just watching him break three or four tackles and scoring touchdowns that that may be as simple as it gets guys you know he has that type of ability so certainly that would absolutely help desmond ritter's efficiency in the red zone if they could just rely on Bijan just trucking dudes uh you know inside the five yard line pretty consistently on these sort of checkdowns and so he might be a cheat code uh, but we're not really considering that here. We're really focused on the other weapons that, you know, the receivers and tight ends. And speaking of the tight ends, you know, I think one of the big additions that the Falcons have made this offseason when it comes to improving their supporting cast when it comes to the red zone is adding John o. Smith, right? That when you go back to the Arthur Smith offense in Tennessee in 2019 and 2020, it was John o. Smith, not A.J. Brown. John o. Smith was the most targeted player in the red zone in those Smith-led Titans offenses. And we talked about this two years ago, back when the Falcons selected Kyle Pitts, right? As kind of one of the justifications for why the Falcons would quote-unquote overdraft a tight end like a Kyle Pitts, because we know that tight ends were a big part of the Arthur Smith offense. We weren't worried about the tight end scoring touchdowns then because so much of the Arthur Smith offense, especially in the red zone, ran through the tight end position. About 40% of the Titans' red zone targets whether that was to John o. Smith or Anthony Ferks or other guys went to tight ends in those two years. And you compare that to the last two seasons, Arthur Smith has run the Falcons only about 29% of their red zone targets have gone to the tight end position. But we've talked before about John o. Smith, not particularly being the most efficient third down target, but his red zone numbers were very effective. And while I didn't necessarily do a deep dive on his old Titans film, uh, when it came to his red zone targets, I did go back and watch some YouTube highlights of all his touchdowns. Uh, and a lot of those came in the red zone and you saw uh, Arthur Smith using John o. Smith in similar ways that we saw Arthur Smith use Michael Pruitt last year. A lot of play action, rollout concepts, leak and throwback concepts to John o. Smith to take advantage of his skill set. And you also saw some slants and some fades and some lobs. And hopefully we'll continue to see those same concepts used by Arthur Smith when uh, targeting John o. Smith. And that certainly will allow uh, Desmond Ritter and this offense to succeed when they throw the ball in the red zone. But you would also Love it even more if they would use those same contacts for a certain other tight end by the name of Kyle Pitts. And hopefully this is the year where we can kind of nip this whole Kyle Pitts doesn't score touchdowns thing in the bud, right? 
Uh, and we, we fixed so many longstanding issues, right? As you guys can tell on my whiteboard behind me, you know, we've solved the salary cap situation. We've solved the Falcons offensive line issues, at least seemingly we can run the ball. Now, you know, we got Grady some help because the expectations are that the Falcons will have something close to, if not better than a league average pass rush this year. Um, and I'm sure you guys can come up with, with another list of things that you have been complaining about the Falcons not being able to do for a number of years. And, you know, the fact that they've been able to solve so many of these other areas that we've been complaining about for years and years is a reason why my fo- myself and, and so many others have been, you know, so excited and optimistic about this, you know, new phase, new era of Falcons football. But can we now finally solve the problem that's been plaguing this team for the better part of a decade where we have one of the most dynamic weapons in the entire NFL on offense, but he never seems to score touchdowns. And of course that began with Julio Jones basically a decade ago and has continued with Kyle Pitts uh, these last couple of years. And so I'm hoping we'll get to see more Kyle Pitts involved. Obviously I'm hoping that Drake London uh, and that connection that he and Ritter have will also be an asset to enhance this red zone efficiency this upcoming season. And then you took a look at the other weapons that the Falcons have added this offseason, Mac Hollins. And it's understandable when you look at a, a receiver with Mac Hollins' size that you think, okay, this is going to help the Falcons be more efficient in the red zone. Um, however, the numbers don't necessarily show that from Mac Hollins' career, where only about 23% of his red zone targets over the course of his career have turned into touchdowns. And you compare that to, say, Kyle Pitts, who was 16%, and Russell Gage, who was not necessarily known for being a great red zone. Uh, player for the Falcons for years was 20%. And to be fair to Mac Hollins, though, you know, when you look at the league as a whole, on average, only 23% of all passes uh, that are attempted in the red zone turn into touchdowns. So that indicates that Mac Hollins isn't really adding a whole lot, but he isn't also hurting you in that regard, where if that's the average number. So we'll see if Arthur Smith can do a better job of taking advantage of Mac Hollins' size than the previous play callers that have had him in Philadelphia, Miami, and of course, Las Vegas most recently. And by the way, because, you know, the brand is strong, got to compare Mac Hollins to some other receivers that potentially could be options for the Falcons. You know, Mac Hollins red zone efficiency was 23%. By the way, Hunter Renfro's was 34%. Corey Davis, 24%. However, under the two years that Corey Davis played under Arthur Smith in Tennessee, it was 50%. So clearly, you know, the Falcons have an opportunity to upgrade, maybe, possibly. And again, I want to make it clear this, you know, I'm not anti-Matt Collins, guys. You know, I sat here before the 2022 free agency and, and said, I think the Falcons should sign Matt Collins as a great bargain buy. Uh, and basically what he did in Las Vegas last past season was kind of what I was hoping when I came up with that idea, he could do potentially in Atlanta. But what I'm saying is, you know, well, what, what I'm not saying is I don't think Mac Hollins being your number two is going to like necessarily doom the Falcons season or anything like that. Mac Hollins is perfectly fine as a number two wide receiver. I'm just saying that if you're quote unquote settling for Mac Hollins being your number two, in my humble opinion, that to me is a team that's not really trying. No team in the history of the NFL has ever said, you know, who should be our number two? Mac Hollins. And I don't think the Falcons are breaking new ground by being the first team to do so. So call me crazy when I sit here that at some point in the next five months, I expect, you know, and then five months from now, that's when the trade deadline is roughly, you know, the Falcons will try to make an upgrade there. And, you know, I just don't know who and when that is going to be, but we'll just sort of have to see. But that being said, my conclusion 
on today's episode is that I think the Falcons have done enough to help Desmond Ritter in terms of the red zone issues, but I certainly think they could do more. And, you know, that's where that Hollins, Renfro, Corey Davis stuff comes from. But, you know, we'll talk more about the explosiveness potential, right? That if the Falcons, you know, are continue to be this very methodical offense, you know, putting together these eight, 10, 12 plus play drives, you know, I, I think they'll be able to close that out. And of course, you know, I think the goal, we've talked about this before, where, you know, the Falcons want to run the ball, you know, they want to be efficient on third downs, they want to be efficient in the red zone. If they check all three of those boxes, this is going to be a very effective offense that's going to be very hard to stop. And I've talked about before, that's basically minus the run game, <laughs> what the 2012 Falcons were. Very good on third downs, very good in red zone, very methodical, the occasional explosive play. Um, and so they check two out of those three boxes. Hopefully this team will check three out of, three out of those three boxes uh, with the run game. Uh, added to that and then hopefully this team can also check a fourth box right and that's where the explosiveness comes in and we didn't get too deep into that on today's episode but i think that's certainly worth exploring uh you know in the future probably tomorrow on the podcast uh so everydayers you know that my biggest question mark surrounding arthur smith dating back to when we first hired him was his ability to design explosive plays in his various offenses and whether that was in Tennessee and whether that's been the last couple of years in Atlanta, he hasn't necessarily, you know, won me over in that regard. Like, you know, it's still a question mark to me. Um, and basically Arthur Smith's offense, as far as I'm concerned, tends to be more about having dudes, you know, Derrick Henry, AJ Brown, you know, B. John Robinson. So I think it's a fair question to have if, if that is still an issue has Arthur Smith, does he have enough dudes on this offense? And I, Things look promising, but that is, I, I think, worth exploring further. And that, again, will be something that we can, you know, revisit at a future date. And so, um, you know, we'll see if, if that style of offense, you know, having a bunch of dudes will, can work for this football team so that they can check that fourth box, uh, you know, in terms of explosiveness. So that will be in store later this week. We'll have some guests as well. Of course, we'll also be breaking down Clark Phillips a little bit later in the week as well. Uh, so continue to make Lockdown Falcons your first listen. Of course, you can subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, make sure you check out the Lockdown NFL podcast, all part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.